Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times in Bloomington, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're going to talk about issues facing youth. With, me, with us in the studio is Bill Stanjakevich, who is the CEO and president of the Indiana Youth Institute. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Bill, welcome to the program. Bob, good to see you again. How yeah, are you? Mary Catherine, you. nice to meet Thanks. you. You're welcome. Nice to meet here. you, too. Hi. Glad you're here. Now, I have to acknowledge that the, you know, the, the team is back together. We mm-hmm. haven't been together on this show for probably about a month uh, or so. About a month, I think. Mary Catherine's mother passed away, and I'm very sorry about that. Thank you. Yeah, Thank she you. was a big big fan of this radio station, and uh, I remember uh, when this station started broadcasting in Kokomo, where, where she lived, um, that was a big day for her. She was very pleased, and this was certainly her music of choice. Choice. And so uh, the station provided her a lot of pleasure. In so. her Friday noon show of choice. She, yes. In <laughs> fact, she was a big supporter of our show, right. too. So. Well, thank you for coming back. Well, Welcome I'm back. glad to be back. Right. And um, we were – my family and I were the recipients of quite a lot of kindness. And um, we're very grateful for that. Great. So, so now we're raring to go for 2008. Yep, we're ready. Bill is here to uh, kick us off, kick off the year, not kick us off, kick off the year, <laughs> 2008. With, uh, and, and, you know, what better issues to talk about than issues facing you know, young people today in the state of Indiana? I think we, we need to uh, give you an opportunity to sort of frame this discussion because the Indiana Youth mm-hmm. Institute may not be familiar to all of our listeners. So when and why was it started? Yeah, the Indiana Youth Institute is a statewide nonprofit. We serve all 92 counties here in Indiana and do primarily two things. We provide services to people who work with kids. We don't serve kids directly ourselves. Instead, we help summer and after school youth programs, educators, youth ministers, CASA programs. Anybody who's working with children and youth is our quote-unquote customer. And we have 24 services. About half of them are free. The other half are very low cost that help these folks with fundraising and other skills and resources that they need, that they tell us they need uh, for their work with kids. And then the second thing that we do is we publish data and statistics on child well-being. And we don't lobby. So a a couple of years ago, I'm sure you covered it on this show, the full-day kindergarten Mm -hmm. discussion. We didn't say yes or no to full-day kindergarten. We just said, here's what the data say about full-day kindergarten. So Hoosiers could be informed as they spoke to their elected officials. Uh, Certainly, the youth workers use the data for their program planning and for their fundraising. Uh, but, you know, the media use us because, they you know, there's no hidden agenda with us. You know, we're Joe Friday. We're just the facts. And people can d- decide how they want to use it. So uh, that, that's the value that we add. And, and the data also is how we help our elected officials. So who funds you? We were created by Lilly Endowment mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Uh, Jim Morris, a strong IU connection, former mm-hmm. chair of the Board of Trustees here, uh, was the president of Lilly Endowment when we were created. They are still 40 percent of our $6 million annual budget. And then uh, even though most fundraising is from individuals, we are not an easy sell to individuals mm-hmm. because we don't serve the children directly. So primarily foundation-driven. So mm-hmm. DECO Foundation up in the northeast part of the state, Ball Brothers Foundation mm-hmm. in Muncie, the East Chicago Community Foundation, um, Key Bank, Eli Lilly, WellPoint, uh, so many different corporations and family foundations. And we charge some small fees for our services. We do have some very generous individual donors. H.H. Uh, H. Gregg is another company that supports us well. So uh, that's the fundraising that we do. Now, Indiana is in your name, but are your is your scope of services limited to the state of Indiana? Uh, primarily, yes. Uh, we can help people outside of Indiana, but only in a way that can help us within the state. So we're either going to learn something from that initiative that we do in Illinois or somewhere mm-hmm. else, or quite candidly, we, we do that service at a net profit mm-hmm. and then bring those profits back to the Hoosier State to help our Indiana youth workers and educators. Mm-hmm. Whose idea was this? The Lilly Endowment put together a fellowship of youth workers, educators, uh, to really look at youth issues in the state back in the mid-'80s. And when that 18-month fellowship ended, they had a list of recommendations, one of which would that there would be a statewide nonprofit to do these two things, provide help to youth workers, be an objective provider of data and research and information separate from the political cycle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a governor yeah. retires or gets beat, uh, you know, there could still be this nonprofit moving along to keep the information out there about who's your children. 
All right. Our guest today is Bill Stanjakevich, who is with the Indiana Youth Institute. Phone numbers to call are 855-0811-877-285-9348. And you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. I have to say Bill uh, Bill and his organization send columns to us uh, and other newspapers throughout the state. And we uh, do use them from time to time. We don't use them all, but we use them from time to time. And we get story ideas from them because, as he said, the data mm-hmm. is uh, is just – the data. It's the, it's what's happening, and and you know there are maybe some conclusions dro- drawn from the data, but it's not. There's there's no hidden agenda there. I, I w- would like to ask what uh, what kind of process is in place to decide what kind of research you're going to do. do you have a board of directors. We we do have a very active board of directors. Uh, Bill Stefan, who is a senior mm-hmm. vice president to President McRobbie, is my boss. He is our board chair, mm-hmm. and I've known Bill for over ten years. Tim Seiler, who runs IU's fundraising school, is on our board, um, and just a, a wonderful relationship with those two um, who help lead and guide our organization. We publish the Kids Count Data Book. There, the Annie E. Casey Foundation funds one of these data books in each of the 50 states plus the District of Columbia, and the data book, Bob, starts the whole process. So as we gather this data, primarily from state and federal government sources, we then see stories that jump from the data. Mm-hmm. That then takes us to four issue alerts a year, or then quite candidly, reading the media and you know, turning on the radio, we see stories and trends, give those special treatment with these issue alerts. And then from that come our monthly newspaper column. We're very grateful that your newspaper runs those on occasion. We do a statewide radio show ourselves, and we have these Kids Count Radio Minutes uh, that run on over 65 stations around the state. We've just started a Kids Count TV Minute. So we take the data, we take this information, and put it out there for the population at large. You do have a great radio voice. So. Yeah, you do. I thought the same thing as soon as you opened it. I thought, wow. I was actually in radio for 10 years. I moved to Indiana because of a radio career, actually. And uh, But thank you. I just opened my mouth and it comes out. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's that's so, great. You know, we're heading into – we're in uh, a legislative session. It's yes. going to be a short session. It's mm-hmm. going to be a very – seems to me a very interesting it, it's session. It's going in to be a short session. It's going we'll in to be a short session. Up. And potentially it could be you know a, a very meaningful session in terms of, of legislation that comes mm-hmm. out of it. Potentially, we'll we'll see about that too. Um, but wh- where, you know, where are sort of the 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 opportunities, and I guess sort of the landmines, if I and that may not be a good term for it, for children in our state. When you think about property tax reform, which of course is the big issue on the table. Well, you know, when people talk about property taxes, they use the phrase the bottom line. And, of course, they're meaning the financial bottom line. Mm -hmm. You know, how much will the average homeowner save? What will the bottom line be for businesses, et cetera, et cetera? Well, for us, the bottom line also – and I'm a homeowner. I'm very interested. That's very understandable of what we've seen with property tax bills, why that uh, bottom line is in the spotlight. But at IYI, we also say what's going to be the impact on children – primarily in the two areas where the state is talking about taking over full funding. One would be child welfare, which is the children who tragically are abused and neglected, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, most often by their own caregivers. And secondly, education. Both of those issues have one thing in common, and it's this common phrase, local control. So uh, historically, Indiana has relied on local dollars to pay for the child welfare system. Mm -hmm. Uh, Over 60 percent of the child welfare costs have been paid for with local property tax dollars. No other state in America is above 50 percent. 31 states have no local dollars involved in child welfare. So Indiana is very alone in that. And what's our percentage in? Over 60. We're 62 percent. The only other jurisdiction above 50 is Washington, D.C. They don't have a state, right? So that's how unique Indiana is in this way. The reason it has stayed that way historically is that our county judges have been very well organized with help from very passionate and dedicated child advocates who who have felt that that local county judge, when this court case comes before him or her, this child has been abused or neglected, what services do I provide? Do I put this child in foster care? What do I do with the parents and what services do they receive? The the judges want maximum flexibility and maximum authority, arguing we live here, we know the services, we probably know this family, we need as Mm -hmm. much autonomy as possible. What the state has said is – and other states who have done this have said this – if we're going to pay the whole bill, 
we're going to kind of limit. We're going to give you the menu of what you can choose from. And that has always been the rub. Well, now that the state is moving towards fully funding child welfare, what Indiana Youth Institute points out is as Hoosiers go to these town hall meetings, they also need a recommendation on what to do about the authority of the judges. We don't tell them what recommendation to have, but just know that's a very real issue. Moving over to education, same thing. If the state is going to fund 100 percent of the general fund, K through 12, how much authority will the local school boards retain? And the national survey data is clear. Residents across America are all for full state funding. They're all for lowering and eliminating the property tax, but they still want their local school board to be in charge. And that is where the rubber is going to hit the road on this. More than any economic discussion, it's going to be how much authority that local school board retains. Again, we don't take a position on that, but if you're going to go to that town hall meeting with Senator Simpson or whoever your local elected official is – be ready to have that discussion point ready because that's the issue our legislators are facing in addition to the economic bottom line. Well, one of the other, one of the other issues in the uh, property tax discussion, at least in, in the, uh, the governor's proposal, is that any significant construction project hmm. in the state would have to go to a public referendum. And mm-hmm. obviously uh, one area that would be of uh, huge importance is, is to the schools. Right. Have you taken a look at that? Is that some a policy issue that's in place in other states? Well, you know what's really interesting about that, Bob? The schools are actually the one place where we, we already have public referendum on schools and the people making those decisions are directly elected by the citizens. If you don't want the $14 million swimming pool, get somebody else onto your school board and you can go vote for school board. We don't have that with our library board. We don't have that mm-hmm. with our utility board. So it's, it's a very interesting idea that this, this countywide approval of a construction project is also going to apply to schools because schools already have wonderful avenues for direct citizen participation. You're not taking a position on it, but I've, I've argued in editorials that this will uh, – for right or for wrong, this will slow down the construction of new projects. And if that's a good thing for schools, then you know, if the citizens think it's a good thing for schools, OK. But I'm not so sure it will be. And I think what's happened, Bob, is we've had a couple of high-profile stories kind of cloud everything else. So when Franklin Central builds a multimillion-dollar football stadium that's only going to be used eight Friday nights out of the year or North Central High School wants to build a $14 million swimming pool, suddenly that clouds – you know, where I live in Boone County, our population of school children has gone up 75 percent in the last eight years. They're not building Taj Mahal swimming pools. They're building school buildings for all these little kids. So it's not the same. It's not an apples to apples comparison on all school construction projects. Right. Can we back up just a little bit? I'm very interested in the um, types of services that you make available to yeah. people who work with children. Um, I know we, there was a story um, today, I think, in, in the paper about uh, a group of folks who had had t- uh, touch points training. And I wonder if that's the kind of thing that you folks provide or, or if you could give us some examples. We provide training all over the state. Even though our state headquarters is in Indianapolis, we have field staff Mm -hmm. who live all over the state, including a very talented IU grad by the name of Linda Henderson, born and raised in Bedford, um, knows everybody, uh, covers southern Indiana for us. In fact, when I hired Linda, it was between her and another candidate. And I said, you know, Linda, why should I hire you and not the other person? And she said, Bill, I'm going to go into the hills and the hollers where they're cussing and calling on each other and represent IYI. I said, Linda, I have no idea what that means. You do. <laughs> You're bilingual. You speak southern Indiana. You're hired. Uh, so we have folks, a gentleman in Evansville, a woman up in Fort Wayne. They covered. So we're very intentional about being local. So that's number one. We have staff who can come visit these folks and help them problem solve. We take our trainings all over the state. I use fundraising trainings, trainings on working with kids, like activities that teach life skills, working with kids with disruptive behaviors. And those types of trainings are all very practical, not academic or esoteric, but but plug and play. When I get back to my youth center, these are specific activities I can do. Uh, Another one of our 24 services, Mary Catherine, that's very unique, is we provide one-on-one consulting. We will come to your youth agency and help you with board development, strategic planning, program evaluation, fundraising for just $25 an hour, not $100 or $200, $25 an hour. And I'll give you a quick story. A CASA program in the state, CASA Court Appointed Special Advocates, for folks who may not know, called us and said, we need more money. Well, when we talked to them, what they really needed was an active board of directors. 
Our consultant worked with them to teach them what a board is supposed to do, what they should look for when recruiting a board. They recruited board members. We helped them train those board members. That board went out and raised more money than ever before, which they then did two things with all that cash. Huge marketing program in their county to recruit more volunteers to be CASAs, and then the money to train those people to be CASAs. Their waiting list of kids needing CASA representation in the courts went from 50 children to two. We didn't represent the kids in court. We didn't even go find the volunteers. We helped strengthen that organization, be better at what they're designed to do through this consulting service for just $25 an hour. So these trainings are all over the state. The consulting services are all over the state. We have professional development grants. We have a big annual conference. Um, th- those are the types of practical services we're providing to youth workers. Now, do you also include um, public school educators in your in your services? Absolutely. We have a couple of websites. Uh, one is called Drive of Your Life. It's a free website designed for the parents and counselors of middle school students. It's a video game where the students answer some questions about themselves, and then the computer comes back and says – Kids like you tend to go to these following careers. Hmm. As they've answered these questions, they've designed a cyber car and they get in the car and they drive it down the highway and each exit is one of these careers. And it helps the students learn about the careers. But most importantly, when they get to high school, the types of courses that Mm -hmm. they need to be taking. We hope this will help more Indiana kids see the relevance of high school, stay in high school, hopefully go to an apprenticeship program or go to college and and get the uh, education that they need. That has been whopping popular in our schools. Over 100,000 students each school year have been using that Drive of Your Life website. And then there's a companion site for parents called Trip to College, which is also free. As you folks know, we're near the bottom in the country in the percentage of our population with a college Mm -hmm. degree. Now, that doesn't make you a bad person. Neither one of my parents went to college. My mom didn't go until the kids were grown. My dad never went. Uh, It doesn't make you a bad person. But in today's economy, it's really necessary. And in Indiana, we have a disproportionately higher number of first-generation kids. These – this website, Trip to College, can help parents demystify that whole process of finding the right school and, importantly, finding the money Mm -hmm. to help their kids get the post-secondary education that they need. So those two programs have really been a huge opening for us into schools. And then thirdly, we're administering for the state a program called Jobs for America's Graduates, which identifies uh, students after their sophomore year at risk of dropping out of high school. Uh, Somebody on site at the school works intensively with with these students. Nationally, over the last 30 years, 90 percent of these at-risk dropouts have graduated high school and are in college or employed full-time. Our first year here in Indiana, we were over in Bloomfield, Mm -hmm. uh, Greene County, one of our 12 schools. We're now up to 16. Next year, we'll be in 25. Our first year graduation rate was 98 percent. And again, these were kids identified by their teachers as at risk of dropping out. So these are – in addition to our other services, educators can come to our conference, take our trainings, use our consulting. Those are three services in particular which uh, really are designed to help our friends in the schools. I know that homeschooling is a trend that seems to continue to grow. Um, Is that also a group of folks that you offer services to? We go wherever we are invited to go. And one of the places we go every year is the homeschool annual conference. We always exhibit at that conference, Mm -hmm. make folks aware uh, of the two websites. The drive and the trip websites would especially be valuable Mm -hmm. uh, to our homeschool friends. We also have a lending library, uh, Mm -hmm. books on youth development, nonprofit management, community youth development that our homeschool friends can use. You go online, you order the materials, and we will send them to you in Bloomington and New Albany and South Bend, wherever you are, with a postage paid return envelope so that you send them back. So absolutely, yes. Uh, As our homeschool population continues to grow, we're glad to serve those folks when we're invited to do so. Wow. Now, Bill, you're you're – surely offering a whole range of things, and uh, you're making that very clear. What size staff do you have to we have to do all this? Yeah, we have 30 staff positions, 25 are in our state headquarters uh, in the capital city, and then we have the five field staff. We also have, uh, it's important to know, 25 board positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, 21 of them are currently filled. Those folks are located all over the state as well. Uh, Christy Gillenwater, uh, who runs the Monroe County Chamber, also on our board of directors. Uh, so, again, that's, that's a way for us to have a statewide presence. 
presence. And then these consultants, I, I talked about this consulting service. Mm-hmm. We have about 100 consultants who work for us and they live all over Indiana as well. So it pays to hire the right people. That's the bottom line. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think you've already answered this, but I just want to make sure that, that I'm clear. It sounds like, I mean, you said you'll go wherever you're invited yes. to go. So my question was going to be, you know, do you work mainly with existing youth serving agencies? You know, I think about some traditional ones like a boys and girls right. club or big brothers, big sisters or someone like that. Or I also think, you know, recently a, a new agency sprung up here in Bloomington called Stepping Stones. And they, uh, Sherry Benham is a young woman that's in charge of it. They work with uh, middle school age kids that are sort of in uh, transition from maybe their home into something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so that's a, that's a new agency. And I'm not sure if you worked with them or not. But, but the existing agency versus sort of the emerging agency trying to hit a new need. We find existing agencies who ask us to help them. Middleway House here in Bloomington is one that we gave the Indiana Youth Investment Award to. We honor outstanding youth work around the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pinnacle School, mm-hmm. uh, Denise Lessow, holy cow. <laughs> what a wonderful di- – I just wish she had some passion for her work. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know, um, and, you know, and working alongside them uh, as best we can. But, but, you know, kind of the angst is we want to find everybody. And so a program like this, uh, getting word out through community foundations in the United Ways because they tend to know everybody, mm-hmm. uh, communicating through uh, mayor's offices because they tend to know everybody. We'd love to find the new agencies and help them as well. Sometimes with the new agencies, you want to make them aware of the existing because there's no need to recreate the wheel or there's ways to really be more specific about your particular niche. Uh, but but that is something that we are always endeavoring to do is to keep that mailing list as fresh and current as possible with both existing and new agencies. Okay. I think we're going to uh, take a, a break early, a little bit, just a minute or two early today because when we come back, we want to get heavily involved in some issue-oriented right. things. Yes. So I'm fascinated by the, you know, the, the four, the Me quarterly too. issue alerts and let's talk about some of the issues facing our youth. Again, our guest today is Bill Stanjakevich. He's with the Indiana Youth Institute. He's president and CEO. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. WFIU is a media sponsor for A Day On, Not A Day Off. The City of Bloomington invites volunteers to get involved with local organizations that have created service projects. Participating organizations and volunteers will be honored at the King Holiday Celebration at the Buskirk Chumley Theater on Monday, January 21st at 7 p.m. More information at wfiu.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael and our guest today, Bill Stanjakevich, who is the president and CEO of the Indiana Youth Institute. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348 if you're from outside the Bloomington calling area or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Um, so the, the issue alerts. Yes. You know, the, it's, uh, I know that I've seen some of them and, and you will point out a significant issue facing Indiana's youth. What are some of them? Yeah, there are a few recently that we've called attention to. Um, for example, the state's out-of-wedlock birth rate has reached a record high. Forty percent of Indiana children are now born to a single parent. Uh, in eight of our counties, more than half of the children are born into a single-parent household. Uh, we're ahead of the national average in that regard. Uh, a couple notable things about that statistic, a lot of folks immediately think, well, it's the teenagers. You know, we really have to – those teenage kids, here we go again. Well, the teen birth rate has gone down 42 percent in our state since the year 2000. The increases come amongst young women between the ages of 20 to 24. 
and that's why this is going to be more difficult. It's a little easier to talk to the kids about sexual behavior. Now we're talking to young adults. Uh, The National Campaign to Prevent Teen Pregnancy has changed its name to the National Campaign because they see nationally the vast majority of out-of-wedlock births are now amongst these young adults. Second thing is people say, well, you know, at least folks are living together, right? So mom and dad are cohabitating and isn't that okay? Actually, the research shows, and again, this is the data speaking, a a research organization called the Urban Institute Mm -hmm. found uh, that children growing up in a household where mom and dad cohabitate actually tend to fare worse than kids in a single-parent household because that cohabitating couple is far less likely to stay together. Uh, Now, again, this is not an easy topic. This is not saying all kids in single-parent households are doomed. It's not saying all kids in two-parent households are going to do great and turn out perfect. It's just the data are clear that kids in single-parent households six to seven times more likely to live in poverty, not too well in school, and a whole host of other social issues, which takes us to another issue, Bob, that we've called attention to, and that's the increase in the child poverty rate. You know, in the late 90s, our child poverty rate in the state of Indiana was single digits, seven, eight, nine percent. It's now 17 percent. It's right behind the national average. Um, The out-of-wedlock birth rate is certainly related to that as well as the economic dislocation that occurred, especially in the first half of this decade. And then thirdly, the significant increase in immigrant families that we have in our state. Immigrants historically, regardless of their race, enter at the lowest rungs of the economic ladder. So uh, child poverty is up in our state, which takes us to a third issue we've put a lot of attention on lately. Child hunger is up. More and more kids signing up for the school food programs, more families eligible for food stamps. I was just at one of our major food banks here earlier this week. Uh, the, the demand is higher than ever. And, and where Indiana fares poorly compared to the rest of the country is a high percentage of the working poor. These folks who used to work in the factories now working in 8 to $10 an our job. It's so much harder and gasoline at $3 a gallon, which drives up food costs and, and, and. Uh, we are amongst the national leaders in the working poor, uh, which puts greater strain on our social services in places like food banks. So those are just three of the issues we've been spending a lot of time on lately. I know Mary Catherine and I will want to follow up on those, but we sure. have a phone call. So let's okay. go to Bob on the phone. Bob? Yes. Uh, greetings. Hello, Bob. Uh, your discussions uh, at risk uh, students in the school system I triggered a question that a number of years back, I understood that the way the state calculated how many prison cells would be needed would be by the number, of, for example, of second or third graders, taking a certain percentage of that, maybe, I'm not sure if it was based on at-risk kids, and then figuring the number of prison cells, which seemed to me to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't know if you could respond to that. Yeah, that, the, the principle is correct. But as we've looked into this, Bob, the, it's actually kind of an urban myth that actually somebody looked at a third grade result and planned specific numbers of prison cells. But to your point, you're, you're correct. I can't tell you how many teachers I've spoken with who said if that child fails the third grade I-STEP test, which is the first one mm-hmm. that they take, the first standardized exam, those children will surrender. I'm stupid. I can't learn. I quit. Success is for other people. And that's why, you know, we saw the push for full-day kindergarten and the great start to school because the opposite is also true. If we can get children to do well in that third-grade I-STEP test, we now have some momentum. Um, But, yeah, in terms of there being a specific formula from third grade to prison, we've never been able to document that exactly. Okay. Thanks. All right. Bob. Fascinating like question, though, Bob. Okay. okay. Thanks a lot for the call, Bob. 855 811 877-285-9348 and noon at Again, our guest today is Bill Stanjakevich, who is with the Indiana Youth Institute. Um, one thing I wanted to follow up on because I think it's, it's, it's really relevant, there have been a couple of movies recently about out-of-wedlock yes. parenting. I mean, one was Knocked Up, with, which was a young woman probably between that 20 and – maybe 20 and 28. I don't know how old she was. And then the their most recent movie, Juno, uh, last week, Ellen Goodman wrote a column that really sort of criticized both those films, uh, even though the films are getting great reviews. And uh, I actually have to say I've seen them both and I enjoyed them both mm-hmm. very much. Um, what, what kind of uh, impact do films like that, do, do sort of public, the, the, the media – messages that are out there have on these kind of issues. Well, let me ask you this. Do you all remember Foster Brooks? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure, sir. Foster Brooks isn't funny anymore. 
Yeah. yeah. Right? Remember in the mid-70s, mm-hmm. he made his living pretending, to we think drunk. he was pretending, yeah. being drunk. Well, now, because of Mothers Against Drunk Driving, in partnership with schools, law enforcement, right on down the list, even the alcohol companies, when we're all watching the Colts game on Sunday, we're going to see commercials, and those commercials will end, know when to say when. Whether they believe it or not, they feel socially the pressure that they have to put that in their commercial. Drink responsibly. Wasn't the case 30 years ago because we've had a huge social movement in our media, uh, in our schools, religious congregations, families, and so forth. Remember the crying Indian? Sure. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, we threw litter out the window, and the, I remember when that guy died. It was front-page news. Mm-hmm. The crying oh, yeah. Indian has yeah. died, you know. It's, he was such a cultural emmer. So the culture does matter. And I, I have not seen those movies. Um, it was aware that, you know, uh, teen sexual behavior and pregnancy were involved. If they glorify that behavior, they can only have a negative consequence. As the teen birth rate has gone down, the abstinence folks are taking credit and the safe sex folks are taking credit. Uh, let them all take credit. I think what happened is as a culture, we, we started speaking up and saying, you know, kids, you really need to wait. And some say wait till marriage. Others say wait till you're an mm-hmm. adult. I mean, that can get a little controversial with some folks. Or but use it, birth control. It, either way. But at least we started having the conversation with kids uh, about sexual behavior and mm-hmm. we saw the rates go down. So it's, it's going to need to take that same cultural message, which will not be as easy because now we're talking young adults. I'm not a kid anymore. Who are you talking to me about my sexual behavior, right? So I'm not suggesting this is going to be easy. But in the meantime, that trend is only going to go up, and the consequences for kids can be much more challenging uh, if that out-of-wedlock birth rate stays where it is. It's funny how as a society we, we are a very live-and-learn yeah. culture, we, and, and we seem to do it in, in waves, you know, um, but we kind of figure stuff out and go, oh, yeah, that's really not such a good idea. Turn on the old Dick Van Dyke show oh, yeah. or the old Andy Griffith mm-hmm. show, which are held up as these paragons of Americana, the good old days, right, and, uh, and they're smoking. Oh, well, that's right. Andy smoking mm-hmm. and Dick Van Dyke is smoking. You know, today, be like, what? But, sm- you but know. Dick and, Laura, Dick and uh, Laura were in – Rob and Laura were in – Separate beds. Separate yeah. beds. <laughs> and, you know, that's how, yeah, that's how it was back then. But, yeah. but you know, and today, and you still see smoking on TV and such. But, you know, obviously, you've had all the changes in public policy and health awareness mm-hmm. and so forth. It's going to take that type of cultural message mm-hmm. on this issue of out-of-wedlock births more than any type of public policy. And, and I have to say, you know, I'm not – I don't – try to pass myself off as a movie reviewer, but I believe in both those films. They didn't really glorify the okay. out-of-wedlock pregnancy, but they but there were stories built around them. So anyway. and, and, I haven't seen them yet. We should do a show about it. Yeah. You know what? Seriously. That would be fun would to be do a, a show job. kind of uh, based on those two movies. And, bring, and have some high school kids it. watch it and yeah. see what they think. It would be. Yeah. It would be good. All right. We have another phone call, and Gemma is on the phone. Gemma? Hi there. Um, I'm listening to your conversation about the movies, and... Uh, I'm of the generation where we were probably the first generation to be told that it was okay to have sex before marriage, and it was well publicized, and, you know, psychologists thought it was good, and, uh, you know, even though it's only 99.99% sure when you take birth control that you're not going to get pregnant, um, we were encouraged and living together and trying it out before marriage is encouraged. In fact, it has now gotten into the movies, and so now the common person who, you know, sees it thinks it's okay. In fact, what I would suggest is that not that these movies not be able to be made where, you know, we're, we're exploring sort of the results or exploring in a kind of adult humorous way um, these things which these current movies have done, but perhaps... If we make that decision, which is not based on perhaps the church, which it was in the 50s, but now on a cultural, ethical level, if we could try to at least say that they should be rated, like we used to have ratings of X, and now it seems like X only comes in when it's sex, uh, explicit sex, um, although some of the R's have now had some pretty explicit sex this year. And, you know, instead of just having it be sex or ours just be violence, in fact, some of the violence is so violent, they should probably be X. We should reexamine our, I suggest that we should reexamine our rating system. Mm-hmm. Good. That's an interesting it's point. Interesting point. So you're talking about reexamine it for the some, sort of the messages of the movies instead of Right, just, and not censorship, just right. saying, you know. Be aware. If you're, if you're a high school student, when you look at this, are you going to think it's encouraging you to do it? Or if you're a grown-up, are you going to be saying, 
oh, ha ha, isn't this the way people have been and we've learned our lesson or whatever it is that, that the movie is saying or not saying, you know, consideration for an adult in because they have context because children don't always have context mm-hmm. and they run off thinking that it's okay to do something like say what we see in the violence where, you know, they see this violence on TV, they think it's cool and they think it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we see that. There's studies very recently saying that you know, the children sort of are getting mixed up between reality and virtual reality. In fact, <laughs> IU has done a study, uh, the medical school, that shows how the brain is affected, for example, by violent video games and right. can lead to I violent mean, behavior. So. Thank you. All right, Gemma, thanks a lot for the call okay, and, and the ideas. Now, is that something your, your organization would be gathering data on? I had a great trip to Hollywood about three years ago with our good friends at the Heartland Film Festival. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't mm-hmm. had Jeff Sparks on, wow, he'd be a great guest. And took us out, and we met all these Hollywood people. Mm-hmm. And we were ta- and, and Jeff partnered with this group called the National Collaboration for Youth, which is the National Association of the Larger Youth-Serving Agencies, YMCA, Scouts, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Girls, Inc., so forth. Um, and, and they've come up with a project called FILM, F-I-L-M. And you can go on their, web- their Heartland website and find FILM. And basically what they do is they put these movies out there that are – they encourage the kids to read the books, so literacy, mm-hmm. watch the movie and then do some community service projects. Uh, so that's all good in and of itself. But a lot of these films are like Dreamer, uh, Because of Winn-Dixie, Hoot, that can also put some good positive values into the mm-hmm. kids as well. Uh, interestingly, what we found out is – and what the Hollywood people themselves told us is – they actually don't care what the content is they put in movies. They just want to sell tickets. So what, what Jeff says is let's go see these movies. Let's go you know, buy the tickets. Let's, let's rent the DVDs and encourage Hollywood to purchase more. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is the R-rated movies are the lowest income generating movies in Hollywood. So for folks who want to see more in the culture and more in entertainment, if you see a good movie out there, go buy a $9 ticket, take your – significant other, take your kids, whatever, and that will encourage Hollywood to do more of that. But the culture does matter. One other thing I wanted to say about Gemma's comment about sexual behavior too, the number one predictor is open discussion with parents. Number two, we're see- while the teen pregnancy rate has gone down, the teen STD rate mm-hmm. has gone up. Thank now we're all making ad- that point. We're all adults, so we know what's happening there. The kids are saying, well, I'm not having intercourse, so I'm still a virgin, but they're engaging in other sexual behaviors, and these diseases are still being spread. That's a message we still need to get across to our kids. Mm-hmm. Now, on your four issue alerts, how often do you do you give those, and, and how do you make those choose the four? Yeah, they come out in February, May, September, and December. Mm-hmm. And as we work on the data book, we see stories that jump out of the data child obesity, child diabetes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we found a statistic where our fourth graders over a 14-year period, their math scores went up on a national exam. Their reading scores went down. Same kids, same testing, you know, all had the same breakfast that day and math went up, reading went down. So we called attention to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So as we see – and then we might see a national study or something in the national media and say, "Hmm, what's the Indiana story on that? And that's what drives what goes into the issue alerts. Okay. So you you gather this data. You Mm -hmm. you find these stories kind of that pop out from the data. Then I know you communicate with newspaper – Folks, how else – what other avenues do you use to get your message out? Yeah, we, we send out about 3,000 of the issue alerts to the media, to elected officials at the local, state, and federal level, to other civic leaders like uh, United Way and Community Foundation, other foundation heads. Mm-hmm. And then we put an electronic version on our website and put the word out to our 8,000 youth workers in our schools and they can access it electronically. It's always a, a free resource. And then we use Army, our, our monthly newspaper column, our statewide radio show, our Kids Count Minutes, the little 60-second PSAs, different uh, a- avenues like that to, to really get the word out about a particular issue. How much of this data is county-specific or region-specific? We will, you know, never say never, but we pretty much will only do an issue alert if we have county-specific data. And if you go on our website, we have about 90 indicators by county. You can find Monroe County data. But Mm -hmm. even better than that, we drill down deeper. You can find data by school district. (laughs) You can even find data by particular school. And if you still can't find it, call us. We have a full-time staff person who has three consultants who will drill down by census tract or by zip code if you need it even more local. In fact, uh, they're kind of like Indiana Jones. They're just searching for that holy grail. And you tell them, you know, tell me about uh, Latino kids in Cass County who went through a job training program 
program. I just want the ones who are left-handed. They'll, they'll get up on the edges of their seats in excitement to go find this data. So that's a free service we provide, wow. and folks just need to call us toll-free. We're glad to help. Now, I, I would, uh, based on the things that you've said before, I would assume that you you don't lobby the legislature about issues. Board policy number one is we don't take sides, which some right. people love us for that and some people it's their biggest criticism because they want us holding their mm-hmm. sign out in front of the governor's office taking their mm-hmm. sign. So when you find, But when you find an issue like child hunger, I mean, yeah. that's an issue that I would think that, that people in the state should be concerned about, everybody. So you, know, you, you send the alerts to the legislators. Do you have an opportunity to have follow-up meetings with groups of legislators, policymakers to further explain the issue and some of the ramifications if the issue isn't addressed. There is a significant legislative conference that occurs every December and we get in front of the legislative leadership that way. Uh, and then as we see legislators, they tell us they're getting the data book. They're get, And we have many testimonials back at the office. They're, they're receiving and using these issue alerts. Um, and then we also speak to the citizens, you know. So, you know, we wanted the elected officials to know about the higher child poverty rate and higher rates of child hunger. But then we tell citizens there are these nine food banks around the state of Indiana. And if all of us were just bringing one bag of groceries every single week, what a difference it would make. And say, well, what's my one bag? Is that going to make a difference to the family who receives it? It sure will. Uh-huh. And if we start thinking like that as a community, uh, certainly we always need wise and responsive public policies. But all of us can make a difference in any of these social challenges. Mm-hmm. All right. 855-0811 is our local phone number. 877-285-9348 is the number from outside the Bloomington calling area. And noon at indiana.edu is the email address. Bill Stanjakevich from the Indiana Youth Institute is our guest today. And uh, he, we will be here for another 10 minutes or so. So if you have questions, please feel free to, to give us a call. Um, could you give me a little bit more, uh, some a little bit more specific information about the poverty rate and the hunger issue? Those are obviously key issues. But what's the data show? I mean, how how much are these issues? You know, how how much are these issues sort of uh, on the rise? Yeah, the poverty rate for children has just about doubled. Again, it was uh, in the seven to nine percent range in the late nineties, and now it's seventeen percent. Uh, again, we're, we're knocking on the door now with the national average, and, and that is just a huge change here in the state of Indiana. We also need to point out of the families who have children living in hunger, more than half have at least one adult in the full-time workforce. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, what we've seen is a lot of dislocation from factories, moving into maybe eight The to, working poor, basically. Uh, the working poor, moving into those 8 to $10 mm-hmm. an hour service-type jobs. Um, and, and, you know, and that's why we saw the, the cigarette tax pass the legislature to fund this new health insurance mm-hmm. program. It's specifically designed for those people who don't qualify for Medicare or mm-hmm. Medicaid and aren't able to buy the private insurance on their own. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. We have two phone calls. So let's go to Vern first. Vern? Hi. Uh, it's Fern. Like Fern. Okay. <laughs> I, I apologize. <laughs> um, just a comment. Uh, I'm a high school guidance counselor, actually, uh, at lunch listening to the radio. And... Um, would comment a couple things with the Indiana Youth Institute. Uh, what a great resource for us, number one. Thank, thank you. you. Number two, um, I happened to see both of the movies that you were talking about over the holidays. And in the 13 years that I've been a guidance counselor, only one time have I had a young lady speak with me about um, the possibility of giving up a, a child for adoption. I've had many people talk with me of pregnancy scares and considering their options and, you know, this, that, and the other. But in all that time, only one person ever said, you know, I think um, that maybe what I want to do is put the baby up for adoption. By the end of that week, she had changed her mind and she was going to keep the baby, which is, I think, what probably most of the young girls are doing. So as I watched the movie Juno, I thought, you know, of all the cultural influences, what if this maybe said, you know, that's okay. You can... Because in the story there, she keeps saying, I'm too young. I can't be a good mother. I'm not ready. And, you know, I mean, there's all the storylines and whatever. But we have come to such a place in our society from where, you know, girls were sent away and and nothing was ever spoken about. And then, you know, uh, they came back nine months later to where every um, 13, 14, 15, 16, you know, on up year old who's ill-prepared, is it's okay to be a mom. And, you know, um, well, obviously the best thing would be if they weren't having uh, 
children. The children weren't having children. I just kind of wondered, maybe that message in the movie Juno might open for more discussion with people that, you know, adoption is an, an alternative that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Well, well, let me just say, Fern, thank you for what you're doing with the students uh, in the school that you work at, uh, heroically serving our children. And second of all, I'm an adoptive dad. Uh, and so adoption hits close to home. Eight, we used to have in this country 8% of the newborns placed for adoption. Now we're at eight-tenths of 1% placed for adoption, which is why families like mine and others are going overseas to adopt from China, Guatemala, Eastern Europe, and so forth. Uh, we've seen our federal government uh, bipartisan. I mean, it's the one thing Ted Kennedy and Tom DeLay agreed on was this huge $10,000, $10,000 tax credit for adoption. So, Fern, you're absolutely correct. But but then you're getting, for that girl, maybe that's, she thinks, finally somebody's going to love me. Or, oh, absolutely. You know, I, and you, you know, you could tell us the stories, right? So to just say it, it's just so complicated with, with so many personal issues in, in these young ladies' lives. All right, Fern. Thanks a lot for the call. Uh, bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, I, I, I think it sounded like Fern liked the movie. I liked it too. Good. Right. I'm anxious to see them. Let's go to back to uh, Gemma's back. Let's go to Gemma. Hey there. I'm sorry. You must think I'm terrible. but um, No problem. I wanted to comment on when I hear them say, oh, there's this much hunger, and I, and I notice that, well, for sure in Bloomington there's plenty of really great food available. I look at Mother Hubbard's because I pick up some food for people, and uh, – it's got great food, and I sometimes stand in there and tell some of the people that are of really poor means and have been for a long time, even their parents, you know, how to cook these things. Um, and, I, and it occurs to me that you can have a child that is suffering from hunger that is just really poorly fed. You know, somebody who's just plain fed on potato chips or, you know, packaged anything, mm-hmm. um, perhaps just junk food. It, because their parents really don't know any better. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think one of the things that we could have reinstate in our schools is home ec and not laugh at it. You know, I think I, when I was coming up, it was like laughed at. And I remember talking to my mom and she said, well, when I was coming up, they used to teach us really how to cook and, and really how to, you know, be nutritious and stuff. And, and it started after the Dust Bowl when, you know, people were starving and people had to start to learn how to use their resources better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just like to see that because I think a lot of even though obese kids could be called uh, hunger, hungry. Mm-hmm. They're, they are, and it's malnourished as opposed to hungry. Yeah, they're yeah. malnourished. Yeah. Lots so anyway, of. Uh, that was my comment. <laughs> well, it's interesting that during this time, an increase of child hunger, we've seen an increase in child obesity. And it was actually a study out of IU found that one of the great predictors of children not becoming obese in low-income communities is their proximity to a grocery store with fresh produce mm-hmm. so that they're not just loading up on sugar and chips and cereals but, goods, yeah. and packaged yeah. but, but fresh And honestly, fresh there's quite a few things, say, at this Mother Hubbard's place that are fresh. Um, really great things, but I see them passed over all the time. Hmm. Um, a lot of people don't know how to cook eggplant and stuff. And... Some of them, a lot of them don't know how to read. But at any rate, yeah, I, I, I think that that's part of our problem is our, our public really not by the time they get out of high school knowing about how to put themselves. And Bob and Mary Catherine, one thing Jenna said I wanted to follow up on too, which I thought was going to be your point. When we talk about hunger, and Jim Morris, again, has become a great friend of IYI, just got done feeding the world for the United Nations for five years, literally. The, the, problem, the challenge is actually not the amount of food. We have food. It's right. the access right. to the food, and right. that's where all of us can be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. All right, Gemma, thanks for calling back. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate Bye. it. Yeah, so Gemma has you know, a great point about hunger. And another point I would make, we've had Julia Alonzo from the mm-hmm. Hills Food Bank here on the oh. program before, and we, we've done some things with hunger. And, and what, what's going on in Monroe County, there are great uh, – agencies that are serving people who Mm -hmm. are hungry and the community is responding with more food than ever and the government is responding with more food than ever but the need is growing at a rate that's faster than than the rate can be met. So – which it actually leads me to to a question. Uh, you, you talk about our um, Indiana rates of poverty and yes. and things like that uh, rising to meet the the national trends. Um, First of all, that's very disconcerting. But is this um, 
I don't even know how to, to ask the question I'm looking for, but um, well, just speak to that if you would, I guess. Um, it's, go ahead. The national rate has not increased as fast as the state rate because the state had so much further to go. He knew uh, your question better than you Thank you. Did. Yeah. I appreciate that. I Yeah. And, and it actually leads – there's a probably the largest fundamental issue we look at at IYI is this. For generations, we wonderfully have had this strong economy based on agriculture and manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And what we need all Hoosiers to understand that even in agriculture and manufacturing today, you now need at least an associate's degree. Mm-hmm. The high school diploma is no longer enough. So first of all, 30 percent of the kids are dropping out to begin with. We need to address that. And then after they graduate high school, get that associate's degree. Here's an example. Caterpillar plant up in Lafayette. The hiring man says you come to him with a high school diploma. You will drive the forklift for eight bucks an hour. You come to him with an associate's degree, you will be on the line making engines for $60,000 a year. That's the difference we need and we need to get that message out. And that's a two-year degree. Two-year degree. Ivy Tech, Purdue, others have Mm -hmm. many outstanding options. Secondly, uh, the FFA kids nationally Mm -hmm. come to our state. Mm -hmm. 55,000 of the Blue Jackets Mm -hmm. running around, loved it. Mm -hmm. You go on their career site, the number one career that needs an associate's degree is farmer Mm -hmm. because of the technology on the tractors, with the seeds, with the pesticides and fertilizers. You're running a farm. You're running a business in a world economy. If a hurricane hits Australia, it affects your farm in Monroe. County and you need to know about that. And if it's true about agriculture and manufacturing, of course it's true for our white collar professions and Mm -hmm. so forth. So that is a cultural shift that needs to happen in our state. And as kids become more educated, they become more economically self-sufficient. That is the long view. You know, we think about Mm -hmm. the short-term interventions. Let's take our groceries to the food bank. That's the long view of how we need to change our culture. The other interesting thing that will happen, there's a book out called Forbidden Fruit. We talk about these sexual messages. Mm -hmm. This writer, Mark Regner, has found out in the South, working-class kids receive only the abstinence message. In Michigan, uh, kids from college-educated families receive the safe sex comprehensive message. The kids in Michigan were more likely to be sexually abstinent because they said, I'm going to college. I'm going to get a career. I don't even want a girlfriend, let alone a baby right now, because that's just going to get in the way. Mm -hmm. And so when we create the aspiration in our kids, kind of the abstinence safe sex message kind of gets put aside if we can just show hope and aspiration and and help kids set these long-term goals. So short-term solutions, but also some long-term things to strive for as well. They figure it out on their own when they have goals. Absolutely. All right. We have one minute. We just got an email in. Can you glance at that? Sure. It's basically a comment. Well, no, it does have a little question at the end. Abstinence only education is a failure. Given the danger of perpetuating ignorance and the limited money for sex education, do you agree that taxpayer money should not go to abstinence only programs? We don't take a position on that. We don't lobby one way or another. I would say in the issue of sexual behavior, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. The abstinence people will say their programs work and have studies that back them up. The safe sex people will say abstinence doesn't work and they have their studies to back it up. And I think if our questioner heard what you previously yeah. said about some the program in Michigan and the other program, mm-hmm. that that speaks to that issue as well. It's, we're, without we're, a doubt, it's the most contentious issue, though. Oh, of course. Yep. We are out Always of time. Already. Yes. <laughs> Bill Stanjakevich, I want to thank you very much, and I hope you'll come back and see us again. I hope you'll have me. This was fun. Absolutely. Was great. And yeah. you gave a pretty good answer to a really great question there at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much. Thanks. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Catherine Hageman, engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org.